The Windows Media Stream for the live broadcast of the Chris Perillo Show is provided by Limelight Networks. Listen to the live Chris Perillo Show in Windows Media Player. Download the latest version of the player for Mac and Windows users at Microsoft.com slash Windows Media. So, we've got Terry on the bridge, and Terry, uh, again, has been fighting the good fight, shall we say. Terry Heaton is, and I believe he calls himself this, uh, a consultant. And on his blog, the, the, the tagline, this really, I think, it summarizes exactly the stuff that I read, uh, what he writes. Bringing new media to local television. He's someone who really understands What's going on? And not just in a, in a sense like, hey, I'm trying to be part of the conversation. I, I, I can quote so-and-so. He's actually got a very good perspective on where things are, where things are going to be. He, he knows. It's inevitable. So he's doing his best to proselytize not us, not the masses. We already get it. We understand what's going on. The good thing about Terry is he's a liaison. He communicates with these television networks and he talks and he tells them what's up I don't know if they're listening so I guess we're we're going to have to find out so I'm going to bring Terry into the conversation at this point Mr. Heaton are are you there Terry hey good good to hear from you well great is this Jake no this is Chris Jake hi Chris (laughs) I'm not hearing you very well Oh, we're, we were having uh, some... What's happening is you're on a, a voiceover IP network. Okay. So there may be some stutter, there may be some lag, but rest assured the, the recording itself will come out okay. All right. Well, you know, I can understand you now, so... Oh, good. Good to talk to you. I'm, uh, I'm honored. Well, it's me who's honored, and I say this seriously, after having hosted a television show and, and trying to explain to some executives there... The way the internet worked and the way geeks like myself thought, it's good to speak to someone who has a really unique perspective on this, Terry. And I was hoping, before we really start going, and by the way, Terry, we've got as much time as you need. Uh, if, oh, okay. So I, we had, uh, unfortunately, Kevin Wiseman couldn't be with us tonight. And honestly, I just assume dedicate a lot of time to this particular topic because it's. Well, I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> well, and I, you've got a better voice than I do, so we're good. Could you give <laughs> Could you give me and, and everybody a, a background how you got started in the television industry? Well, boy, that's a that's way back. I, I started in uh, nineteen seventy, actually, in uh, in Milwaukee. Um, I, you know, it's a long story. I didn't go to school for it, uh, which is one of the reasons, frankly, that I I prefer this iconoclast role uh, that I find myself in now. I've always been someone who who kind of marched to the beat of a different drummer and and didn't follow rules very well. You know, you know, you know the type of person to play with. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I got into broadcasting and by. Uh, you know, working for a guy for a hundred dollars a week doing radio in 1969, and then ended up. Uh, I showed some initiative, and you know, like you do in most things in business, uh, you get noticed, and so I ended up in the in the TV world behind the scenes in uh, 1970. And I worked in Milwaukee for ten years on uh, as an assignment manager. Uh, let's see, I was host of uh, PM Magazine in Louisville. 
I've been I was executive producer of uh, the 700 Club for five years in the early 80s. That's a whole another show. Wow. Um, and uh, and then I've been a news director at uh, six different stations. Uh, I retired in 1998. Um, actually, I think it wasn't so much that I left the news business as the news business left me. If you know what I mean. Um, well, <clears throat> at that time, I wrote an essay called "The The Lizard on America's Shoulder," which was um, it, it's about um, uh, what local TV had become, which I think is a, a, a very detrimental element in our culture. And, and what time uh, did you write this? I wrote that in 1998, <clears throat> and uh, then I then I took all of I retired from TV after 28 years and took all my money and bought into an internet company. Uh, we had it was a Answer a n s i r dot com. It was a, it's an online personality assessment company, and and uh, we raised a lot of money and got killed when the when the bubble burst. And uh, all this time I was working for this internet company. You know, my inner geek got a chance to be uh, exercised. And you know, when you're on a startup, you you learn to do things that maybe you know a person my age shouldn't have to learn. <laughs> and I got pretty fluent in HTML and and JavaScript, and you know, I, I got, I got my hands really dirty uh, behind the scenes in the internet, and I learned a tremendous amount. And all the time I'm doing this, I'm sitting there thinking about this business I used to be, and saying, "Geez, these people don't have a clue." And uh, and I got, it got to a point where it was really scary. And I, then I wrote an essay uh, called "TV News Giving Away the Future." And and that one got widely published. And uh, you know, basically, I said if you have if you're a part of one of these uh, these uh, networks of local TV station websites, you need to break your contract and march out on your own. It's the only way you're going to learn what's really going on. And that got a lot of attention. And so you know, one thing led to another. I continued writing, and uh, that's how Donata was birthed. Um, a word about that, because you were you're curious. Uh, uh, the the symbol of my company is a dragonfly, and uh, the Latin name for dragonflies and damselflies is Odonata. So I dropped the O and just uh, went with Donata. Uh, a dragonfly is a changeling, and that's what I believe that uh, television needs to be right now. That uh, okay, we lived one life and that was fine, but now it's time to uh, shed, you know, come out of the pupa stage and you know become a dragonfly or a butterfly, whatever you want to say, and start living our second life. Um, and so I've uh, I continue to write. You know, I keep a, I do a blog on on my site. Uh, it's not a real. Uh, I, I don't blog like a lot of media bloggers do. When I have something to say, I say it. And um, although I, that's pretty much every day. <laughs> and then I publish essays about twice a month. And uh, well, people are starting to pay attention to what I'm saying. And and I have. Uh, some TV clients now, and and uh, they're doing some pretty uh, out of the box things. Um, it's a very hard industry to um, uh, to understand for outsiders, and it's a it's a very hard industry to get to change. Um, but broadcasting, television in general, and broadcasting in particular, local TV stations are in deep trouble right now, Chris. Now, Terry, you said that you felt the news industry left you. Could you explain that? Well, when I when I started in the business in the early 70s, my contemporaries, 
we got into the business because we thought it was a pretty cool way for a person to make a difference. You know, that uh, we were very idealistic, wanted to change the world, and we thought that news was a good way to do that. Uh, there was no such thing as a broadcast news degree. There were, in fact, there were very few communications degrees that you could get. Nobody went to college to be on TV. Um, you know, in fact, the, the people who were doing the reporting, they had, they had uh, for the most part, journalism backgrounds, but mostly they were just curious, uh, you know, highly intelligent folks who were, who really got off playing in this new medium. You know, at that time, you know, local broadcasting really was. <clears throat> Over the years, and, and the, the more I got into management, the, and the, as I wrote in The Lizard on America's Shoulder, the business changed from doing the news to managing audience flow. Two very different things. Marketers got involved, consultants got involved, and you know what worked in this particular market in terms of uh, building an audience was then shuffled over to the other, this other market, and so it all started to look the same. Um, the uh, you know ownership of the business changed. Uh, you know companies went public that had TV stations, and then public companies started buying TV stations, and uh, you know increasingly. Managers were were um, bound to the bottom line instead of serving the community, and nowhere was that reflected uh, better than in the news. And that's why I say it left me. Um, it just that wasn't what I wanted to do. I found myself, uh, uh, you know, chasing stories that that really ought not to chase. I mean, I still got off on on the scoop or you know on kicking the competition's ass or whatever, but. Uh, um, it just it wasn't the same. It was very very stressful for a guy like me, Chris. Uh, you know, I'm very creative. I'm I'm very uh, people friendly. You know, I like the idea of making a difference. You know, in the, in the lives of other people, especially in a community. And, and none of that, you know, meant anything in TV news at that time. So that's why I say it, it kind of left me. And it's actually a good thing that it did because I'm 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 so much happier now. You know, um, people I, I don't wear. I rarely wear shoes, <laughs> I, except when I go out to meet you know clients or whatever. But uh, <laughs> and, and I'm very I'm very comfortable in in the in the cyber world, and, and I, I view it as a very real place. And uh, um, and I'm not sure that in some respects it's even more real than than uh, the other world. So uh, that that that's in a long that's a nutshell of uh, how I you know got to doing what I'm doing. Well, I think it's. But I've always had. I've always kind of had this. Uh, like I said, I, I like the role of iconoclast because I think there's. Uh, you know, I'm one of these people who always sees great evil in the status quo, and uh, you know, you, some people would call that uh, heresy. Other people would call it, you know, lunacy, and you know, and some people would call it, you know, a visionary or a futurist or whatever. Uh, but I always think things that can be better and. Uh, and I certainly don't. Uh, I don't think institutional America has given us much, to be honest with you. Time, time, maybe to do something different. Well, and it's 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 definitely something that I've seen the writing on the wall too for a while. Having been a fan of certain shows that have kind of disappeared, not necessarily from a local television uh, perspective, more on a national television. It seems that the Nielsen ratings are just broken, and a lot of good shows just disappear because. There's not enough resources to put into them, or they're not promoted correctly, or they're put into a bad time slot. Do you find that the same issues happen on a local level as a national level? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and the business is the same. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you some examples of what's wrong. Um, the television world is a very insular world, uh, especially people who work in local TV, and I'm sure it's the same at the networks. TV people talk to other TV people. They play with other TV people. They watch TV as though everybody, they think everybody watches TV the way they do. Um, and and to, so to, to, to people who work in TV, um, television is a big, big deal, you know. Uh, and and you all, you've come across some of this, I'm sure. But uh, when, you, when you isolate yourself from the real world, you get a warped perspective on what's going on. That's, that's one of the biggest problems that TV people have. When people do research for television pro programs or news or whatever, who do they talk to? They talk to people who watch TV. Well, guess what? <laughs> people aren't watching TV much anymore. And yet the uh, researchers and broadcasters, uh, whether it's at the network or the local, keep talking to the people who watch TV. Uh, the audience that watches TV generally and are involved in news research are uh, um, they're getting older. The key demographic for news used to be, you know, 18 to 49, persons 18 to 49. Now it's 25 to 54. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to keep drifting northward. And As the pants drift southward? Or, as, or No, the pants go northward as well, don't they, as you get older? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, and, and so when you come in the room and you say, hey, maybe you ought to be talking to people who don't watch you, uh, people can tend to look at you funny <laughs> because that's a, that's a non sequitur to them. Um, well, then how are they? A, a I'm sorry. I, I was, I, you're, you're making me think of patterns and usage patterns. I may not watch TV a lot, but I, I, I use my PVR, my personal video recorder, my TiVo. So does the television industry not see this as, as something that's part of their scene? Oh, absolutely. But, but uh, you know, the people who they would, for example, talk to in a research project wouldn't have a TiVo because they're not regular TV users. You know, um, I guess maybe we should be talking more about advertising than, than television, but... Uh, the idea of television being a passive experience, which is what the whole mass marketing world is built on, especially television, is gone. It's just, it's just gone. There may be pockets where it still exists, and there's still plenty of money to be made at it, but the trend lines are clear, and they are very much heading south. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, and, and TV, it, the, the, the revenue just isn't there, and so... They're 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 into into this game of um, cutting expenses, laying people off, cutting expenses, laying people off, uh, stunting, 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 doing anything to get money in the door, and all around them, you know, it's collapsing. And so I, like I said, I walk into the room and say, hey, you know, your problem isn't revenue. Your problem is audience. You know, fix the problem. If you fix the problem. The, the other one won't be there. But as long as you're focused on revenue, and I don't care what business you run, um, as long as you're focused on revenue, you won't. You will never um, do the job the way you can. You can do it. And so, where is the audience? Well, it's not. You know, they're online. They're uh, uh, they're involved with TiVos. 
I mean, they're watching cable. They're uh, it's fragmented so much that uh, the old the business model, the mass marketing core competency uh, business model for television doesn't work anymore, and. Uh, uh, and and a lot of people are getting hurt as a result of it. And, do, you, uh, do you think that bloggers are putting the final nail on that coffin, being able to provide not just information, uh, but information really around the clock, even more often than CNN on a cable level, but especially on a local level? Well, I think I think bloggers are playing a huge role because uh, you know bloggers are a part of a much bigger picture. Um, it goes back a long, long way, and I, I write about this, and I'm, I feel very passionate about this. And you won't hear this a lot of other places, but uh, when, uh, when Woodrow Wilson was uh, elected president for his second term, uh, he ran on a platform, uh, he will keep us out of the war. And uh, he knew, he and his advisors knew at the time that uh, that was bullshit that uh, uh, the United States had to get involved in the war. And so uh, after his election, he got together some great minds. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, 1916, uh, 17, 18, this era. Um, and they formed a group called the Creel Committee, C-R-E-E-L, a fascinating group of people. Uh, two, of the, two of the people on this uh, group were... Uh, Walter Lippmann, he was a big uh, media king at the time, uh, and Edward Bernays. Uh, Walter Lippmann is the father of professional journalism. It's the, the title he goes by. And Edward Bernays is the father of public relations. Uh, and what this Creel Committee was assigned to do was to convince America that uh, the war was a good idea. And so... And so was uh, was born this idea that Lippmann called the manufacturer of consent. In fact, he wrote a book called that. Um, and, uh, of course, Edward Bernays took that a whole uh, step further. And so the whole idea of uh, an elite media... See, Lippmann was really at heart a social engineer. He did not have much use for the masses. He, he, uh, he thought everybody was driven by uh, myth and... Uh, um, emotion, and uh, that the best way for the country was to have an educated elite running everything. And uh, so this idea of, quote, professional uh, journalist, professional news per person, and ob objectivity, all of that came out of uh, Walt Walter Lippmann's mind. And, uh, you know, I tell people the apple never falls very far from the tree, and that's exactly what we've got. Well, guess what? The people are pissed off about it. You know, they're tired of elites telling them, what's right, what they ought to be doing. And, uh, you know, and Bernays, and again, you can't separate these two, but Bernays, um, one of his little goodies, in, in, uh, he, was, he worked for the tobacco industry, and Bernays used the uh, suffragette movement of the late 20s to, uh, to promote tobacco. How did he do it? Because he convinced the, uh, the, the ladies that if they wanted to look tough, they should be smoking cigarettes. And so uh, smoke, uh, a woman smoking was um, a key visual element in the suffragette movement. And guess what? Women started smoking. Um, 
when the, when they um, after the, the United States won the, war, the Second World War, they um, they went to uh, they were they were going through the headquarters of uh, I think it's Goebbels, the guy's name, the propaganda chief of the Nazis, mm -hmm. and, uh, and guess whose books they found in his library? You know, Edward Bernays. So. You know, I, I write about this a lot because I think it's fascinating because, you know, we have exactly what was birthed back in the, you know, the early 20th century with this whole idea of professional journalism. You know, they wanted to create a sterile environment in which to sell advertising. And uh, um, another intellectual fellow named Chris Lash wrote a wonderful um, essay in, uh, I think it was 1990, that uh, where he said you could track the, the, the loss of participation in the political process in the United States with the rise in professionalism in the media. And uh, so, I, you know, bloggers, when you talk about bloggers and the effect they're having on the media, and it doesn't just mean television, it means everybody, you know, I just, I, I say welcome to all of these, these voices because I think we're going, you know, back to the future. We're... You know, we're now we're now seeing the type of uh, thing that uh, uh, really I think the First Amendment was written to protect, and so you know now you got all these arguments about who's a journalist and you know, how can these people in their pajamas, uh, you know, be taken seriously? And you know, <laughs> well, to which I say, well, who 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 gave you the right to be you know taken seriously? I did the you know? uh, I, I did something that you did. I mean, as you like to go around barefoot when. Uh, it, it was a few years ago. There was kind of a the joke is that news anchors don't wear pants, and so I instituted no pants Friday. And uh, so <laughs> tomorrow, in, in honor of you, will be no socks Friday, Terry. I'll go around barefoot <laughs> just for you. Uh, no, I I, I I I totally I totally understand. It's it I I I under I I get it. it being someone who's who's an audience, uh, but. I'm my own audience, so I create my own content, and turning on a box that's very much non-interactive is just not half as compelling as going to the internet and seeking out me TV, the stuff that I want to see, not the stuff that I don't want to see. So we've got this broad, this internet thing that no one can seem to control, this whole blogosphere that is seemingly out of control, but I guess my big question is, what scares, and let's just say local television stations, the most in terms of the future? Oh well, the, the big one is no money. Um, the big one, the, you know, it's business collapsing. It's uh, uh, you know, if you study the stages of uh, disruptive innovations and what they do to you know businesses. I mean, look at Polaroid and what happened to Polaroid. There was a perfectly good, you know, huge multi-million dollar company that uh, has died, you know, because technology, uh, you know, rips guts right out. Well, that's what's happening. I mean, uh, you know, I, what, what you must see in all of the work that you do is this, this giant, um, it, it, this, this giant blending of, uh, of everything media related. Do you, do you say mean, convergence? Pardon me. Convergence. Well, yeah, but 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 even more than that. I mean, the the 
it's like this. Um, it's like we're, we're in this room where everything's being squeezed from all sides and from the top and the bottom too. And it's all, you know, going to be, you know, it, when it's finally compressed, it's going to come out as something different. But uh, nobody, and I, I mean nobody, really has an idea of what that's going to be. Um, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think citizens' media is a big part of it. I think, uh, I mean, look at all of the things that are going on. You, you know, you're doing a radio show, you know, online. Whoever heard of such a thing? You know, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, people who've, you know, maybe very young people think that this is just the way it's always been, you know, or always, uh, you know, could be. But somebody my age, I mean, whoever thought that you that a guy, what you, you have no barrier to entry now to do uh, what is a very popular radio show. And, uh, and the same thing is true with TV. You know, in, in the, from a local news perspective, uh, uh, there's, now, there's a fellow named Michael Rosenblum who is transforming how news is gathered in Europe. And uh, it hasn't caught on in this country yet, but it will. I think you'll see some stations starting it this year. And that's you know, he equips everybody with uh, consumer-grade um, three-chip uh, digital cameras, uh, you know, a little uh, laptop with Final Cut Pro, and uh, turns everybody loose in the community as a video journalist. You know, no more reporters and photographers, and everybody becomes the same. And uh, it's very cost-effective, and it's also, you know, produces a unique kind of news. And... Uh, uh, in, a, in a sense that a TV station can function a little more like a newspaper, uh, could put more people on the streets. Uh, you know, and, and he's taking advantage of, again, technology making it uh, happy, uh, happen. You can equip a video journalist with high-quality, state-of-the-art stuff for $15,000, top to bottom. And... Uh, in in the, in my lifetime in the news business, you know, you, you could equip a photographer with state of the art stuff for fifty thousand dollars, but then you needed two people to do the story too. Um, so you know, all of these types of things, these these technological advances are are cutting away at uh, uh, the industry, and so the number of people in the industry is going down, um, and. You know, the Internet, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a dirty word to television. Uh, they don't understand it. They don't understand the rules of it because they're, they're so used to this uh, top-down um, mass marketing world. Uh, you know, life for a television station is at the end of their stick, usually on the highest piece of ground in the community. <laughs> uh, but that's not the way it is online, and you know that as well as anybody. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Chris. No, I, I, one of the questions that I had for you specifically was your particular take on BitTorrent. And it, hopefully you're somewhat familiar with what BitTorrent is. But to tell you how I'm using BitTorrent, um, this is what I, I kind of want to get your take on. I, I have a PVR. I have a, a, a Media Center edition uh, from Windows, um, or Windows Media Center edition. And... I record shows. Well, sometimes, since I only have one tuner, I can only record one show at a time. And I want to record two shows, but I can't. So I've paid for access to, let's say, uh, Showtime. And I want to record Fat Actress, because I I want to see what Kirstie Alley is up to. But the problem is is that it's recording Arrested Development at the same time. So I've paid for access of Fat Actress. 
So I, what I will do, since I believe I've paid for access to Showtime, so what I'll do is I'll see if anybody's uploaded it, and I'll grab it. I said, well, I, I don't feel bad. I mean, I've paid for access to it. I'm watching it. I'm just watching it in a different way. That's how I want to be able to get shows. I want to watch the programs. I have no problem in supporting the programs and the product placement or the sponsor messages or whatever may be wrapped around it in through it or whatever. But for me, having easy access instead of having to be there at a certain time in a certain place in a certain channel, it's it's a convenience factor. And Absolutely. so my does that does that play into your mindset at all the idea of BitTorrent being able to uh, enable people to get the things that they want when they want it. Well, I, I'm a big fan of BitTorrent. I, I'm not afraid of chaos, and uh, uh, I think there's a lot of value. I think I think chaos is uh, is underrated by the logical minds of the world uh, around us today. And I think, uh, but it's a scary it's a scary thought to uh, TV people, not only from a uh, technological standpoint, but certainly from a legal one. And um, you know, they they're you know, and I was going to say that the the fights of uh, the RIAA and the and the motion picture uh, industry against um, uh, you know peer to peer software you know and sharing of files that like you're talking about is evidence of um, the old culture fighting to hang on to what they have while uh, you know they're being eaten alive from the bottom up and. Uh, you know, I hate it when when institutions position themselves as victims because, you know, I think that the you know what they need to do more than anything else is look look in the mirror. You know, uh, uh, I uh, I wrote to uh, my senator about uh, one of these uh, copyright bills about all this stuff, and the guy said something interesting in the form letter on, that I got back, and that was that copyright is our the leading export of the United States. You know, so guess what the United States does? We entertain the world, uh, and it's billions and billions of dollars. And so, but I view, from what I view is going on in the culture, I think uh, they're fighting a losing battle. Uh, yeah. And that, uh, that what really needs to be done is that we need to sit down and rethink everything. Well, uh, and, and that's my question, Terry, is how do we, you're, you're obviously, I mean, in your writing, and I know you, you quote, at least in recent post, you're quoting another guy I've known for a while, and we've interacted on, on many levels, Jeff Jarvis. How do we, sure. as people who, who can see both sides of the coin, who can see more of the issue because we're not afraid of chaos, how do we communicate that to these larger institutions? Well, I think, I think, I don't know that you do communicate it to them. Uh, I think they need to be shown, and... Uh, uh, and I think, and I think it's up to the creative uh, people, you know, who who quote get this. And I hate that term, but I I do understand what it means. It, it, it's up to us to to uh, show the institutional world how you can make this work and everybody be happy. Um, you know, it, it's easy to sit out there and and criticize, and I do a lot of that. Uh, but what's really hard is to come up with the the solutions, and and uh, some of them are are happening, but they're they're happening in very small ways in very small places, and that's why I say that 
uh, a part of what's going to come out of this is something we don't necessarily recognize right now, but I think everybody's going to be okay. It's just, you know, I have great faith in people. That's why I, I like the idea of citizens' media. I think uh, that corporately the people will always get it right. You know, there may be hills and valleys, or, but, but, uh, or fences. but we'll always get it right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it's, it's when self-interest gets thrown into the mix, um, especially, you know, governmental or, or corporate, that's when things get screwed up. Well, I, I can tell you, I found your uh, your story about uh, the child who was stuck on the fence. Uh, oh yeah. To be quite, it was it was it was interesting to hear you relate that story. Not only because you helped, but in trying to juxtapose that against what you're doing in the bigger picture. How do you see right. yourself? And I guess you know whether I'm speaking specifically to your consultant title or not. How do you picture yourself? being that person where where do you see yourself in the mix and and what are you doing to help get people off of a fence they may be stuck on well i think uh, i'm i'm uh, yeah i i have uh, people say a lot of very nice things to me and i appreciate that of of course i don't uh i, I don't take credit for all these kinds of things i think there's a bigger thing going on here that's beyond me but uh, i think the way i help is to uh, explore with creative people solutions. Uh, you know how can how can BitTorrent work to help uh, a television station or a television network? You know, because I tell you, they're not going to have those discussions because they're so they're they're governed by fear right now, and they're very reactive to you know anything going on in, in the, the world negatively, uh, and they're just not of a mind to explore these kinds of things. So it's up to you know, people like us to, to come up with models and say, hey, wh- what about this? And I, I'm doing that um, with clients. I mean, my essential, you know, here's my business model for a local uh, television station. Um, first of all, you have to stop thinking of yourself as a television station. Mm. It, it, thinking of yourself as a television station is what's killing you. Uh, so let's say that you, um, you know, pick a TV station there in uh, in uh, Seattle, like uh, uh, King, which is owned by Belo. All right. So instead of calling yourself, uh, you know, King Television, call yourself King Multimedia, and put the put the television station on the second level along with everything else that you do. Um, make the television station a slave to the best interests of, of uh, King Multimedia. Uh, you know, create, you know, people, people think of, people look at TV and they say, okay, we sell airtime. That's our business. And I say, well, okay, let's think of it differently. Okay, let's say that your airtime has value. Now, what's the best use of that value to, you know, King Multimedia? You know, and it might be just using the mass marketing muscle of the TV station to promote other businesses that you develop, um, you know, online or otherwise. You know, why do we have to limit ourselves by saying the only way I'm going to make money is by selling airtime? You know, so now you've got a different way of looking at everything. And uh, so I... Yeah, I'm also a, a big opponent of uh, portal websites. I think they're dead. 
I don't think anybody comes to a website through the front door anymore. Um, very, very few occasions. Uh, I think Google has taught us that, and you know, we we go in at the second or we go in sideways now, and increasingly that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see uh, the web being designed for that uh, in the years ahead, and uh, the idea of geez, I'm going to build this website, and I'm going to build this front door, and everybody's going to come there, and I'm going to be able to direct them how, to where to, how and where to go, and I'm going to monetize all these page views. Uh, I think that's dead. And, uh, and so you know, uh, the, the idea then of having a portal website that is kind of trying to serve all the information needs of everybody in the community is also dead. You know? So I encourage clients to, you know, to create separately branded, you know, websites that, that deal with information needs in the community. Uh, you know, use the signal of the TV station to promote them, and use, you know, all, you know, any revenue model that's available to make money off of it. So these, these are the kinds of things that uh, that I'm trying to do to teach uh, TV people to to get off of the schneid on, uh, or get off the fence, you know, because. They're not really on a fence. They're, you're either going forward or you're going backwards, and they're going backwards. And uh, and the, and the thing about it, Chris, is that it's a it's such, I mean, it's such an exciting time to be in communications in media. You know, just think of the things that you can do. Oh, I mean, it boggles yeah. the mind. I'm I'm with you, Terry. I mean, we were even doing this kind of of programming a few years ago uh, at WHO Radio out of Des Moines, Iowa. And we were taking the show, encoding it, and then putting it online and just letting people listen to it. Uh, we didn't care. It doesn't, doesn't bother us uh, that, that, that the audio is out there and, and more people can hear it. But we were doing that back then and getting thousands of downloads every week. And this was back in you know 2000 before broadband had really proliferated the market. And today, I agree. It's it's so exciting. And I think that is why the idea of podcasting is kind of taken off. We've got a, a right. t- I want I want to I want to break for a few minutes uh, and let you get a drink of water, take a breather. Um, you know, maybe wipe the sweat off of your brow. Um, you've been getting really passionate about this, and I can't wait to see where the conversation heads next. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take a, a, or allow a, a, one of our other friends who who is in town. He he gives a handful of tips to people. Leo Notenboom, and we're gonna hear from him uh, just now, and then we'll be back speaking with Terry about the future of media and really the present media when we come back. The Windows Media Stream for the live broadcast of The Chris Perillo Show is provided by Limelight Networks. Listen to the live Chris Perillo Show in Windows Media Player. Download the latest version of the player for Mac and Windows users at Microsoft.com slash Windows Media. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, MIDI. I, I love that kind of music. <laughs> I, I I used to collect MIDI files, and I had to stop listening to them because Ponzi couldn't stand the way they sounded too music boxy. But that was Leo giving a, a podcasting let us uh, a podcasting let, uh, and letting us play it here on the program. We're with Terry Heaton from Donata Communications. You can find more information about Terry at Donata dot com. And Terry has been involved with the television industry uh, from the early seventies when I, when I was an embryo. Or before I was an embryo, uh, since I was born in 73, even though I sound like I was born in 93. And uh, the picture that I've got on the Chris Perlow Show website, I think, was taken when I was about three years old. 
So Terry has been speaking about how the television industry needs to change. Not because it itself needs to change, but because the world around it is changing. And there's quite a bit of information that you can find. And I, I don't know if I, I'd consider Terry a, a regular blogger. Uh, Terry is not necessarily, I don't know if I want to say informant, uh, but someone who is informed. And the writing that you'll find on donatacom.com forward slash blog dot shtml, or just go to donatacom.com. You're going to find quality writing explaining exactly where we've been and where we're going regardless. So, Terry, again, I, let me say thank you for taking the time uh, to, to come on here and, and speak about this uh, with everybody. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I find that it's, it's frustrating for me being someone who I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm part of the microwave generation. You know, I want it now. I don't want to wait right. till 8 o'clock to watch a program if I know it's going to come. I want it now. But for a lot of these, uh, these I guess, um, networks, and, and you kind of spoke to this, larger networks have kind of swooped in and picked up the local networks. And I can only imagine that just creates so many levels of frustration when you have to report to someone who isn't local. Do you find that television stations are comfortable with having a, a parent, or do you find themselves wishing they didn't have a parent? Oh, I think they're... Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's uh, interesting about looking at television is that uh, for, all the, for all the criticism that the outside world has of, of uh, media, there's, there's every bit as much criticism inside it. And so, you know, you end up shaking your head saying, well, why are they doing it then? Well, because they need a paycheck, you know. And so uh, uh, there, there's tremendous frustration in the business. And, and uh, you know, a lot of it revolves around uh, corporate ownership and, uh, you know, and the bottom line. Because the people, let's face it, people who are in, in media, generally speaking, are really wonderful people. I mean, they're 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 compassionate. They they care about what's going on in the world around them, um, and they're they're usually pretty nice people. I mean, some of them have bigger, more fragile egos than the others, but uh, by and large, they're 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 generally really nice people, and they don't they don't work well in a corporate you know bottom line environment, and uh, and so there is frustration. But I I, I tell you what's what I think is going to happen <clears throat> is that. You know, I wrote one of the, I wrote an essay called "The Rise of the Independent Video Journalist," I, and I think that's what's going to happen. Is I think just as as text blogs are are threatening the text news industry, I think so. I think uh, uh, local video will uh, threaten the the video news industry. Um, you know, and I think that that's going to be good not only for the industry but for America. I mean. Uh, you know, people like yourself and your generation, you're going to be writing new rules, and uh, uh, and you have all of these tools at your hand that no generation in the history of man has ever had. You have at your disposal uh, methods of communicating and at low cost that that sets your generation completely apart from anybody else that's ever come down the pike. Now that. That's that's a pretty cool responsibility, I think. And uh, but I think you guys can shoulder it. You know, I know you can. 
like I said, I have faith in people and that this will ultimately work out. Um, let, let me share with you one of the, the foundational things about my thinking. And it's actually the name of my blog is the POMO blog. And POMO stands, is a short for postmodernist. Mm. Now, I, you know, I'm not um, an academic. You know, I don't, I don't uh, ascribe to everything that's written about postmodernism. But it, it is something that people, uh, and I hope that your generation, really understands what's going on. Because what I write about, and, and I think one of the things that separates me from other people and allows me to, to think differently, is that I view what's going on as a cultural change and not, uh, and it, uh, one, uh, that the, the technology is the servant of that technology isn't driving the change, people are driving the change. You know, you speak about yourself as, uh, you know, I want what I want when I want it. And a lot of people look at that as, um, as negative. You know, that's a terrible, you're very selfish. That's a terrible <laughs> character trait. But, Why? But, but, it, but it's not. Now, listen, <laughs> follow me, okay? In, 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 uh, in, in the history of Western civilization, uh, for the first, you know, actually first 1,700, 1,800 years since uh, about the America, and uh, I guess you'd have to go back before that too. But from the time, from biblical times up until oh, hundred, couple hundred years ago, um, life was dominated by uh, the pre-modern credo of "I believe, therefore I understand." Uh, the church dominated the culture and uh, the hierarchy of the church especially. You know, uh, when Luther came along, there was rebellion against the hierarchy. But still, faith is what uh, determined understanding. You follow me? Yes. When, when the Enlightenment came along and uh, the man's ability to reason was elevated, and so, uh, you know, into the status of a god in many in many ways and so you had modern the modern era was born and uh, the credo of the modern era is I think therefore I understand I reason therefore I understand well what's happening now is that that all of this thinking and reasoning has produced tools that allow uh, people to move to the, the next level in Western culture and that is I experience therefore I understand I participate, therefore I understand. Um, and this is what I call postmodernism. And, and I view it as a very natural um, evolution in uh, uh, the human race. And, and you know, I, and one of the examples I use goes back to the 70s uh, when Texas Instruments first came out with a calculator. Now, this was before your time, Chris, but uh, there was big <laughs> controversy in schools that people were actually suspended from school for bringing a calculator with them. Mm. And uh, all of the discussion was, well, uh, you know, they're not going to learn math if they've got this calculator. And, uh, oh, you know, we're going to go down, the country's going to go downhill, and, you know, all, this, all these kinds of logical arguments about why somebody shouldn't bring a calculator to school with them. Well, I mean, I had my, my, my first daughter... You know, she was a young youngster at that time, and you know, she said, "Why can't? Why shouldn't I use a calculator?" You know, and I, we would have discussions about it, and ultimately, she always won because I couldn't argue with it. 
you know, if I'd had a calculator when I was in school, you're damn right I would have wanted to use it. <laughs> more, you know, moreover, if, if you have a machine that's going to do this work for you, yes, you still need to learn math, but, but there's, you know, it also frees your mind to go elsewhere, you know, to create new things, to, to go off in different directions. So I don't see I want what I want when I want it as anything necessarily negative. I think that that's where the culture is going, and I think. Uh, uh, but I, again, I still have great faith in people. I think that uh, that that's, that you know your generation, hell, the generation that comes after you, they're going to be just fine. You know, they're just going to be just fine. Uh, and I think uh, you know it's it's like I said, you're in for an exciting ride, Chris, for the rest of your life. I mean, you're. You just keep doing what you're doing. Keep speaking out the way you're speaking out. Keep uh, keep your nose in all of the stuff that's changing. These things are happening, and and you're just going to have a ball because well, the view you're going to get is is the front seat of the, of the roller coaster. I can you tell know? you, yeah. I, I, I from from my perspective, having I guess now come I guess a couple of generations removed from from, from you. Um, I brought in a calculator, I remember specifically, into a, I think it was a trig class, and I found it much more compelling and exciting to actually program into this Texas Instruments single-line editor the formula, or how to calculate the formula, so that all I had to do was just, you know, enter the variables. I found that much more compelling than actually doing it. Right, so, so building it was more exciting, in the calculator yeah, was... I experienced, therefore... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's right. a, I experience. Therefore, I understand. It's it's an experience, and, and it's hopefully turning into an experience economy. The whole idea that anybody, and this is really what what much like yourself, my background is not in what I'm doing today. I'm officially an English educator, so I'm only qualified to teach people nouns and verbs. But <laughs> everything I do, it grew out of my passion for seeing. Wow. I mean, I, I can type this message and instantly it goes across the world to some guy in Italy who gets it. And a minute later, I get a response. And that just, it just blew me away. I still – I think a basic HTML and Flash ought to be taught in middle school. Yeah. Just for the you know, fundamentals uh, of, 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 of having the tools, the creative tools. And, and that, was, that was something that, that I, I – I, I want to ask you as well. We've got all these tools, and we can learn kind of how to create and how to work work the system. But my question is, what about the quality? Because there are a lot of people out there who are doing podcasts like this, but the, they're not using quality instruments, and you can kind of tell. Or the even video, to a certain degree, is a lot less forgiving than audio. And some of those production elements, you don't realize – need to be there. Do you think we've kind of become desensitized to a lot of that uh, production quality because well, of the Internet? Well, yeah, I think, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. <clears throat> uh, I think, uh, I think you, there's always going to be, you know, you know, man is always going to want to do things well. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the learning curve, uh, people are going to learn. I, I never, you know, it says in the Bible, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And so, and when I think about, whenever the word quality comes up in anything relating to television or video or, or broadcasting, I always think of a conversation that I had with a chief engineer in Milwaukee when uh, cable television first came on, came down the road. 
<clears throat> and this was a long time ago. And the the engineer, this is, this is what he said. He said, people will never put up with the quality. And uh, we all looked at him, and he was dead serious, you know, because he'd gotten to that place on his pedestal where he believed that uh, people, even though they would they would have more choices, uh, even though um, you know their world, their whole video, their whole viewing world was changing. He he actually believed that people wouldn't go for it because it wouldn't be as good a quality as broadcast. Well, you know that's been proven to be absolute horseshit. Now you can get people <laughs> to sit and look at a a little a little screen within a screen and watch streaming video. Uh, it's it's the content of the video. It's the fact that it's there when I want it. It's uh, I don't have to wait until six o'clock to watch it. All of those things are, are driving it, and the the quality will be there. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, you know, Sony <clears throat> Sony makes these uh, the cameras that Michael Rosenblum uses uh, with the, the TV stations in Europe. Uh, a Sony PD one seventy camera um, costs about thirty five hundred bucks. Well, Sony. Because he bought so many cameras from them, they now see him as a problem, uh, and so they have come out with a what they call a quote professional version of this of the PD one seventy, and it costs about fifteen thousand. Because they see that they're going to they're going to lose you know their their uh, money tree if everybody goes to these uh, you know these uh, these consumer grade cameras. Well. You know that's a flawed, it's flawed logic, I think, and uh, um, and 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 what that does is it just opens the door for other people to get in there. And I think, I think, um, you know, you're gonna, you, you know, I would love to see schools teaching, uh, you know, uh, some video podcasting or or uh, video production to you know high school kids or you know certainly in college anybody who wants to take a a video course, you know, doesn't have to sign up for some sort of communications degree or journalism degree or whatever in order to have access to it. And I also think that people of my generation, you know, we're going to be available to teach people how to do things uh, to to maintain the quality. And I think I think all that's going to happen. I just think that things are happening so fast right now. Um, I mean, geez, you. <laughs> You guys, you know how hard it is keeping up with stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and you do a, you do a much better job of it than I do. I mean, um, uh, it's just it's amazing how fast things are happening. But and that's why I need my RSS reader, and uh, you know why I need to spend a good part of my day just reading and keep you know keeping up with what's going on. Yeah, uh, you know, like like. No, go ahead. Uh, your example. No. No, I was just going to. I was just going to repeat that that a guy like you, Chris, you got the you got the front seat on the roller coaster. You know, and I, I've I've ridden in, ridden in the front seat of roller coasters before, and it's ki- kind of exciting. A little uh, queasy. Yeah. I, I get a little queasy at times, but uh, for the most part, it's a it's a fun experience. But you're, yeah. you're you're absolutely right, and I think you're speaking to a finer point, Terry, when you say that it's essential that you have something like a news aggregator or an RSS reader. It's not that you're not reading or reading less. You're just reading differently. You're getting your information. You still need that information. It's just as essential, but you're getting it in a different way. So you're telling these local television stations to 
expand their efforts, what keeps them from doing it? Well, um, firstly, I'll I'll go into, uh, and this has happened to me so many times, it's ridiculous. I'll go into a presentation with with a a group of newspeople, uh, or no, not newspeople necessarily, that's changing, but uh, management people in a TV station, and I'll say, uh, do you all know what RSS is? Not one person in the room will know. So it's ig- it's ignorance, Chris, but it's ignorance really that's based in fear. Because even the, even because you know when I say the word RSS, people shut down. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to have to learn something new, and uh, this is scary. This is scary. This is scary. And I just have to keep, you know, walking people through and showing them, you know, how it works. Uh, you know, a, a television news assignment um, manager who doesn't use RSS is a total fool. You know, yeah. I, it's a just total fool. And, and uh, you know, I get my clients, you know, they're all of their uh, the, the stations that are my clients um, use RSS. Uh, uh, one of my my uh, favorite client is uh, is really getting into blogging. Um, you know, hosted a meetup of people in the community, and uh, uh, they're uh, producing a an aggregator. This this station is is uh, you know like the morning anchor has a really wonderful blog. Sports guy has a great blog, uh, and and uh, these these guys really get it, and they're excited about it because they view it as a uh, you know it's kind of a back door to um, uh, talking to people that aren't watching news. Yeah. You know? And gee, maybe you might be able to say something that would, you know, maybe the, maybe you're going to learn something about what kind of, what can you do with the news that will uh, bring people back or, or make people watch for the first time. Or, you know, you know, maybe we need to be making the news available via RSS, you know, uh, with enclosures. And, you're, and uh, you know, instead of, instead of hiding everything, that's going on. Jump on board and just see how the how the ride feels. You know. You know my only. Uh, like I said, revenue isn't the problem with television. It's it's audience. Yep. And uh, they need to fix that problem, and the revenue will be there. I. I uh, it's like you're you're not preaching to the choir because obviously we're talking. My hope is is that the interview that we're doing is going to get heard by the people who need to hear it. And if they don't realize why they're in trouble, they really need to hear it. You know, I'm thinking. Right. I'm thinking back on all my experiences in television. I have very limited experience, but there were times. For instance, the blooper that went around the internet that a lot of people still recognize me from, where this old guy breaks his Edison cylinder, it crashes into a million pieces, and he ends up cussing. That right. It, what what had happened? I had communicated with a fan. He had just IM'd me, I think, or emailed me somehow. And I, you know, I said, "Hey, that's kind of." He was doing something. He said, "Hey, I recorded a clip from your show. Is that okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine." I wasn't going to tell the network because I know what they'd say. You know, the cease and desist and all that BS. So I said, "Yeah, that's fine." Well, during this this 18 hour live program that I did two two or three Christmases ago, very it was a very long day. Um, this this had happened during the course of, of that day, and the the kid basically took this clip, uploaded it to the net, and it just went around. It went in a word viral, and that did yep. not happen, courtesy of the network. It came because of a fan. Someone took something that he enjoyed, and he put it out there for everybody. Everyone thought everyone thought it was funny. It went like wildfire. It's, the clip has been you know shown on blooper shows, etc. 
but it wasn't controlled by the network. It was out of their control, and yet it gave back to them tenfold because the branding is right there. You know, the idea like, whoa, this is a program that they talk about this. I had no idea it existed. Where is it? That that would not have happened had they continued to control the situation as they controlled the situation. But they were too stupid to figure that out. They were too well, see, dumb. I, what the, the question I'm always asked is, where's the money? Where's the money, Terry? Where's the money? And, uh, well, we'll do that if you can show us the, where the money is. The ROI. You know? And uh, Right. And I, and I keep saying, you know, in all honesty, uh, the revenue models really haven't been written yet. You know, there's some money to be made. You're not going to get rich at doing this. But, but here's the deal. You, you're, you know, why can't you be the one who discovers the, the, the revenue model? You know, you're, you're never going to um, figure it out unless you're in there doing something. And the costs of entry into this kind of thing are just, they're nothing to these people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nothing. And, uh, and, and, yet, and they can do so much good. You know, I've got a client who is, who is buying ads on local blogs, you know, and the ad, they're, they're very happy to do it because the, 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 the bloggers aren't charging them an arm and a leg for them, and uh, they're supporting the blogosphere by doing that, uh, and so there's a lot of goodwill that's being, you know, uh, sent about, but they're also getting their message before the eyeballs of people who, you know, either are disenfranchised or have never been local news viewers. So, you know, that's going to pay off, too. I mean, I, I know that that's going to pay off. And, you know, can I prove it? Not yet. Not yet. But I will. You know, I, I, but Terry, you're, you're down the right path because I've said this a, a few times. The bigger an organization, the slower they move. And that's exactly why the Internet works because people – well, I guess like myself, I've got nothing to lose. I've got everything to gain. I'm I'm completely at this point independent. Yes, we have sponsors like Microsoft Windows Media, but I'm I'm still I don't have to report to anybody. I'm providing a service, and I don't have to worry about a, a conglomeration of folks who may be three continents away. It's it's the smaller the smaller just seems to make so much more sense than the larger. But the, but that makes you so dangerous, Chris. <laughs> Great. Which, may, I know. Which, by I, the way, I think it's wonderful. Terry, I, I, I can say this with all honesty. You were the first person to ever use that word to describe me. Because usually it's just the opposite. <laughs> People don't see me as dangerous, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, put a little coffee in me and I can do anything. <clears throat> the uh, idea, there though, you you're, you're, you're speaking to the heart of the matter of why I think the world became enamored with podcasting so quickly because – and it's not that it was anything new. And I've said that podcasting is an evolution. It's not a revolution. It's just an easier way of synchronizing audio uh, from the, the internet to maybe a portable device. But the whole idea of it catching on is because, wow, suddenly my voice can be heard by more people or any anybody other than the people who live in my area. And that barrier to entry – Nothing. That is the exact reason why I started my particular enterprise online in 1996, because I didn't have to have a business plan. I didn't have to necessarily find funding. I didn't have to have, you know, all of these things that I thought a business person had to have in his or her hands in order to start. 
And it's only gotten easier. I mean, just in the time that I started in 1996. I mean, I look back now, close to a decade ago, and the tools, the software, the computing power, and the internet in general has just matured to where it's easier to be one person and get seen and heard across the world. And and you're right. I th- I think if television stations aren't scared, what do you think is going to wake them up? Because nothing else has seemed to work so far. Well, I, um, <clears throat> in, in all honesty, I think I think some will get it. I think maybe one station in each market will uh, will will discover the value of becoming a, mul- a multimedia company. But that could also go to uh, you know the newspaper company. Um, more than likely, though, it's going to be a combination of uh, these independent uh, people that come up. You know, uh, we have a there's a we have a private college here in uh, in Nashville, Belmont College, and they've got this new media um, section that's really pretty cool. And they're doing a um, a website. Uh, uh, in fact, the name of it is the zip code of their uh, uh, you know that the that the colleges. In. And what they their vision is to make that the information outlet for that zip code. Hmm. Now, now think about that. Um, you know, all of the businesses in that zip code, all of the people who live there, uh, they want to to tell people about the zip code, meet their neighbors, the businesses who are there, the issues. Um, so hyper hyper local. Now, what if you had a zip code website in every community, you know, that was run by citizen journalists, uh, and they were doing both text and video. Um, that's pretty cool. And then you have the question of, well, who's going to aggregate that for the bigger market? Uh, you know, all of these things are possible, and I, I actually think they're going to happen. And uh, I just think, you know, it's very, very cool. You know, Terry, I think. I think it boils down to one word, and however you want to use this word, it's control, or it's an illusion of control. Do local television stations still think they're in control? <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks they're in control anymore. That's good to I think, know. Uh, I think they're all they're all scared, and they're they're uh, well, they're. You know, everybody knows it. That, I mean, every budget cut that happens, every every downsizing that happens. Uh, you know, people are. I, I know so many people. You know, especially people my age are saying, "Geez, if I can just hang on for a couple more years, I can yeah. retire." Yeah. And and uh, and so they've given up. And and uh, so I think we have to view it as that industry as it currently exists is not going to exist anymore downstream. And. Uh, the question is, what is it going to be replaced with? And that's the cool part, the exciting part, especially for people like you, because you're going to be playing a role in making that happen. So, uh, And I think it's going to be just outstanding, to be honest with you. Now, they're scared, Terry, but they're asking for help by employing your thoughts and, and asking, what can we do? Or are, are they even asking that? Or are they just kind of saying, paying lip service to the idea that we need to change? Or we're well, losing ratings. More people are asking. Um, I get uh, I get more, you know, calls out of the blue from people than I than I ever have. And I'm I'm going to be on a couple of panels at the uh, 
the National Association of Broadcasters Radio Television News Association convention in Las Vegas ne next month, and that's never happened before. So, um, yeah, I think I think it, it the word is getting out there. I, I have uh, for about 18 months I've been predicting that 2005 was going to be the bad year, and uh, so far it's starting out that way. And and I have every belief that it's going to continue. And and the more the the more desperate certain people get, the more they're going to be interested in out-of-the-box opinions, and uh, and and I'll be there to help. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not in it to get uh, rich, Chris. I don't I don't think that's in my uh, in the cards for Terry. Um, but I, you know, where I again, I my desire is to make a difference, and and I think uh, I'm uh, uniquely equipped to do that right now for this particular industry. Well, Terry. I, I, again, we're we're speaking here with Terry Heaton, and Terry's been involved with the television television industry for a couple of decades now. Uh, at uh, you can find more information about Terry at donatacom.com, or I suppose they could search for Terry Heaton online and yeah, be able to pull you up. Yep. You okay. Just uh, do do my name, and you'll find me. Fair enough. Well, Terry, again, thanks for your time. Um, well, I, it's I don't want to take up too much more of your time uh, at this point. Yeah, I know it's past my bedtime. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but like I said, I will I will stay true to my word and not wear any socks tomorrow. Well, uh, good. And, and try going barefoot. <laughs> Hopefully the dogs won't leave any surprises uh, around, uh, and I'll be okay. Actually, I wear slippers. Oh. You know? Okay, so is it so. okay to wear slippers? It's okay to wear slippers, yeah. You just can't wear any socks. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I can pull it off. Terry, thanks again for your time. You bet, Chris. Anytime, man. N n count on it, too, Terry. Count on it. All right. So, again, bye -bye. thank you, Terry. Uh, again, that was Terry, uh, Terry Heaton. And Terry's been involved uh, with so many different things. And now he's saying he's going to be at NAB in a few weeks. Uh, that's down in Vegas. It's the big uh, confab for broadcasters from across the galaxy. And uh, so if you're going there, you'll be able to hear Terry speak, as, and then we'll be able to get him on the program maybe to hear what he spoke about, what he learned there, what he was hearing, uh, what words were cropping up. Are people talking about RSS? Are they talking about blogging? These people who see it but see it more because uh, they're scared. They don't know what to do. And Terry is one of those people who I said that he's fighting the good fight. He's, he's doing good or trying to do good and trying to convert the masses, uh, or I guess the people who go out to the masses, um, into seeing where media is headed. So we're going to take a, a quick breather and uh, play another uh, audio piece that uh, we had had uh, we had recorded uh, that had been recorded in this past week. And then when we come uh, when we return, and please stick with us, uh, we've got Kyle. On the line, and Kyle is Kevin Wiseman's stepfather, and we'll be speaking with him about his his particular, I guess, space on the web and the project that he's he's going to be doing coming up on Easter weekend. So stick with us. The Chris Perillo Show is brought to you by Microsoft Windows Media. Download Windows Media Player 10 at Microsoft.com/slash Windows Media. 